Turn to Joshua chapter 3. Sunday I spoke on Joshua chapter 3, and after the service Sunday, uh, Corrine, Danny, Melissa, and I uh, went out Sunday evening to, well, first we went to El Tepeyac in East L.A. for some great Mexican food, uh, but that wasn't the point of our going out. It, it was actually to go to Mosaic in Los Angeles, and as we got there, uh, they meet Sunday evenings in a nightclub in downtown Los Angeles, and I've gone a few times and I wanted to take Danny and Melissa, and as we went there, Irwin spoke from Joshua chapter 3, and so we were like, ooh, okay, God must have something in this chapter for us, because it was, you know, you always just wonder, well, I just heard about this this morning, and here we are hearing about it again, and it was great, he probably listened to my study, and then... <laughs> Decided to improve upon it greatly, uh, apparently. Uh, but it was great hearing those things and, again, getting just that rush of faith that Joshua chapter 3 is. It's a pivotal moment in the history of the nation, in the history of this man, and I shared Sunday in the history of my own life. Uh, it's something that God has used, and I pray he uses it again tonight. Let's read through the chapter. It's not very long, and then we'll talk about it. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and the Jebusites. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan was, is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing, 
It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan. While the water flowing down to the sea of the Arabath, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all the Israelites passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Once again, we, we come across one of the miraculous things that take place. But it's interesting how this varies from previously when Moses crossed the Red Sea. I think it's interesting that Joshua makes sure that we know that right now that the Jordan was in flood season. You know, I want you to understand it was flood season there. Flood season, this could have been up to a mile wide. So, and we're not talking now about a sea that is settled. We're talking about a river that's rushing. You guys ever go into a river and you step into it and it pulls you? I remember we went on a canoe trip one time in, in Blythe. It was the canoe trip from hell, actually. <laughs> I hate when the, that happens. Uh, I originally intended to take a, a bunch of high schoolers that I oversaw canoe tripping, and it wasn't even my idea. One of the associate pastors said, hey, I have an idea. Why don't you do this? And so I was in charge of taking the high schoolers to Blythe on a canoe trip in the middle of July. Do you guys know where Blythe is? It's like right on the verge of hell. And it's in the middle of the desert, and there's really nothing there, but the Colorado River runs through there. And so you go out to Blythe. Now, I had some people who volunteered to help out, and, and it was kind of disorganized, and I was pretty disorganized. And all the high schoolers who signed up were kids who never went to my high school group, except for maybe like two of them. But we had like 12 kids that went who I'd never seen before. Their parents thought, these kids are trouble. We need them to go to church and go to you know, the river. And so they sent them with me, and, and they were trouble all week. And we got to the river, and we got there in the middle of a thunderstorm. We had to set up tents, and the wind was blowing over everything that we could you know, try and set up. Finally, we sent the tents up. We all you know, made it into these tents, but everything else just stayed in ice chests and under cover because it was raining horrendously when we got there. Well, the next day, it stopped raining, and it was a, a, a glorious 110 degrees. <laughs> And we went out to the river and we got our canoes and, you know, we were supposed to go down to this one place and then we were supposed to veen to this other place and then they were going to pick us up with the trailer and take us back to the camp. That was the plan, best laid plans of men. As we started going in this trip, you know, canoes are, are different. <laughs> they, they tip very easy. And the plan was to go down the river and halfway through have lunch. And so we had ice chests filled with lunch meat and water and things. And we all, you know, got in the canoes and there we are. I was in the canoe with my lovely wife, Corrine, and we're going, and it was going okay. Things were going pretty smooth. And all of a sudden we heard, Sam, help, Sam. <laughs> and we look over and there's a canoe upside down with, you know, a couple of high school kids hanging on. And, plus an ice chest, you know, going down. 
and, and it's going down, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, what, what do we got to do? I can't have them die while I'm in charge. And, and so I run up to the side of the river, and I've got some rope, and I'm running ahead of them to try and throw out rope and pull everyone ahead. And as I'm getting these, you know, pulled to the side, I hear, Sam, help, Sam. And I kid you not, for the next few hours, I ran up and down the side of the river, pulling people aside, and finally we made it to this little beach where everyone made it, and whatever we could find of the ice chest and all made it to this beach, and there we camped, and this was the easy part. The next part was supposed to be rougher, and so we made a decision. Actually, I did. I said, we stop here. (laughs) And we set up what... We could have camped. There was nothing to set up. We were baking, literally, in the middle of this beach in Blythe. Everyone was up to their neck in the water because it was so darn hot outside. They just sat in there, and all we really had was sodas and, I think, some hot dogs, and it was miserable. And that's my thought of a river, okay? <laughs> it's moving. It's taking things down. You, you step into it, and, and it's like, well, the sea, it's, you sit there, and it just stays there. A river is moving. <laughs> and God tells Joshua to gather the ark and a, a person from each tribe and to go out to the Jordan and to step into the Jordan. And and I love what he says because he says, verse 3, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. And it seems like God is always taking us someplace that we've never been before. In fact, that's kind of what faith is. It's stepping out into something that you haven't stepped out into before. And I loved how Irwin talked about uh, last Sunday. He talked about, you, you could hear the people saying, that's not how you do it. The way you do it, because I remember hearing about it from Moses, is you go up to a mountain and you get a staff and you stand there and then the waters part and then we cross. That's how you're supposed to do it. We know. And, and you could just know that somewhere along the line, well, that's not how we used to do it. That's not how Moses t- did it before. I remember the story. We read about it. it. It's not that way. You told us. So, so what's with this new way? You know, God is always taking us away that we've never known before. And he asks us to step into this river that's rushing that's flooding. But before we step into the river, he lets us know that he is before us. See, we may never have been before this way before, but, but God goes before us. And here in this picture of the Jordan River, we have the ark that represents the presence of God that goes before the people. And their eyes are not supposed to be on the rushing river. It's supposed to be on the ark. It's supposed to be on the Lord. And you see, when we enter into these areas that we've never been before, when we walk by faith and not by sight, our eyes need to be on the Lord, the one who knows what's going on, the one who has been this way before. Because if our eyes are fixed on the Lord, then we won't 
see and be dismayed by the rushing river that's floating down. I think of Peter when he stepped on the water and his eyes were on Jesus and when he took his eyes off Jesus, he started to sink. And if our eyes are on the Lord, then we can move forward. Ooh, thunder. You know, in dog training, when you're getting a dog to walk on a heel, what you have to do is get the dog to pay attention to you. And to think more about you than it thinks about the dog across the street or, you know, whatever else. And as you get the dog's attention, then it becomes content to focus on you. Why? Because you're the master. Where are you going? I'll follow you. And so as you walk, the dog's paying attention to you. It might see a distraction. It might see, you know, uh, another dog. Maybe there's a pretty little poodle that walks across the street or something. And it says, oh, but you can tell it, hey, leave it. Keep your eyes on me. And the dog comes back to you and says, okay, where are we going? Instead of being distracted and running all over the place, and you guys have seen people walking their dogs or their dogs walking their people, you know, <laughs> where they're like, oh, and they're walking down the street and the lady is holding on for dear life as the dog is, you know, trying to pull her, you know, down the street. Well, many times when our eyes are not on the Lord, we're doing the same thing. We're just going here, we're going there, and we're, oh, uh, you know, we're just drowning in despair, and the river is overtaking us, and we're worried about these things because our eyes aren't on the Lord. The Lord is going before us. We need to fix our eyes and our attention on Him so that we won't be overwhelmed. But have no doubt about this. Stepping into that river was no doubt a scary thing for those priests. Okay. And we have to understand that the place where the water stopped, where it talks about the water stopping up heap in verses 16, the water from upstream stopped flowing, it piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam. This is, they think, about 20 miles away. This isn't just up the bend. This is a long way away. They've estimated it could have taken as long as two hours for the water, or actually more than that, it could have taken up to 12 hours, I believe it was one estimate, for the waters to actually stop to where they were. So that's a good time waiting to see what God is going to do. And, and isn't waiting the difficult thing? When the Lord says, wait on the Lord. So there you are. Okay, I'm waiting. What now? Just wait. Wait for what? Just wait. And our lives become so anxious about the things that we want to do and what we want to see, and sometimes we need to wait until the work of God is clear in front of us, and then we can walk. And so the priests step into there and they're going a way that they've never gone before. They're going in a way that they've never gone before. And I think God did this on purpose. I think he made them step in the water instead of parting it on purpose. Yeah, that's how I did it before. I'm doing something different now. Pay attention. Jesus did that with healing people. Sometimes he just touched them. Their eyes were healed. Sometimes he spit in the mud and put it on their face and their eyes were healed. I'd rather be the first guy. 
but he does it different. Why? Because he's going a way that we've never been before. And we so easily make things routine and want to get things to a place where I'm comfortable with how it is. I'm comfortable that this is the way it is. And God says, no. You're going to have to move in a way that you've never been before. And you see, this is marking a time in the nation of Israel where they are entering into what we know as the promised land. Canaan's land, the land where the Canaanites dwell. And this land of promise was a land that God had given to Abraham years ago. But then they were in slavery in Egypt. God's bringing them back out and is going to go and reclaim this land. And so this marks a time where God is fulfilling what he was going to do. And one of the things that he mentions here that I want to just touch on is he talks about in verse 10, This is how you will know the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites and all these ites that are there. And you think, well, why is God driving them out? Well, it's interesting because in Genesis 15, 16, it says, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. God is speaking to Abraham and speaking about this moment. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. In other words, God was waiting to drive out the Amorites until their sin had reached its epic. When God finally says, okay, I'm done. I'm going to drive them out. And this is four generations later. Talk about patience. God is patient. He is long-suffering. But at the time when they're sin had become full and God said okay I've given them enough time to change their ways they haven't changed their ways it's time to drive them out and you see that's so true in in our lives as well God is patient God is long suffering and there comes a time when he says okay that's enough it's time to move this out and he told Abraham about this and that this was the time it would happen And I I believe that's true with each of us individually. And I believe what is happening to the nation of Israel is something that happens to us individually as well. See, I believe that crossing the Red Sea with Moses is a type of baptism. In fact, we're told that it is. And then they are in this wilderness journey for 40 years and it's a, a type of being aware of Sin, basically. Aware of your condition. The baptism of John was unto repentance. And then they come into the promise, and the promise is this new life that we have in Christ. There was a second baptism. Acts chapter 2. And you see, God has a promise for his people that is a life that is filled with his blessing. But before the promise, there has to come faith. Before the power, there has to become the belief and the trust. Before they could enter into this land, they had to step out in their trust. And the same thing is true. How many of us want to live powerful Christian lives? 
We, we don't want to be defeated. We don't want to be wandering in the desert. We don't want to be in this wilderness experience. We want a life that is dynamic, that is living, that is powerful with the presence of God. But between us and that life, there is a river. And that river could be a number of things. It could be bad habits that you have. It could be, uh, you know, problems that you're facing. It, it, it could be an, any kind of thing that seems like an obstacle between you and getting to this place where you are living this dynamic life. And you say, I can't get past it. It's rushing. It's overflowing. It's too big. And we too have to set our eyes on God who has gone before us and we need to walk by faith and trust him that he is able to give us a life that is victorious, a life that is plentiful in spiritual ways, a life that is powerful and dynamic for God's sake. And we have to follow him. And it's not easy. In fact, it's scary. It's darn scary. There are times you will step into it and you'll think, oh my gosh, what am I doing? How can I step into this? How can I do this? This is too big for me. This, I'm going to drown. I'm going to be overflowed. I'm, I'm going to be overcome by the river. I, I can't get through this. But you will never get through it until you trust and have faith in God who goes before you. He's the one who's going to drive out the inhabitants of the land. He is the one who is doing this. He is the one who's prepared the way. And we need to have faith in him. And so when the iniquity is filled, God has a plan. Now, his plan is the same for us. His plan wasn't just to cross the Jordan for the people. His plan was to cross the Jordan with these people, establish a place where a baby would be born in Bethlehem, would die on a cross, and would rise again, would be a Pentecost. God's plan was a lot further than just this nation of Israel. His plan included us. He's got vision. I remember years ago I was watching the news and it was talking about this new light filament for cars that was going to be placed in the cars in five years. And I thought, five years? Why are they thinking five years down the line? Why, you know, what about now? And well, no, we can't do it now, but in five years we're making plans. Now all the car lights have you know, these special lights that see further and use less energy. And they had vision to see ahead of when it was going to happen. God is seeing way ahead. His plan to get the nation into this land, to drive out the inhabitants, was because he had a plan. A plan that included the Messiah, a plan that included us, the church. God's plan was to move forward and to bring these times. Now, ten times the ark is mentioned in just this short chapter. The presence of God is vital if we are going to live a life of power and victory. If we are going to live a life of faith, our eyes have to be fixed on God. Colossians 3 tells us to put our eyes on the things above and not on the things of this earth that we're to keep our vision upward on the things that God has and not just on the things that are temporary. And it's important for us to live a life that is in this manner, that is following after God in this way so that we can have the fullness of what God has for us. 
as the people crossed the land, as they broke camp to cross the Jordan, and as the ark was there on the water's edge, and as they stood there for however long it took for the water to stop that 20 miles away and come down, and as they waited, finally it came, and they crossed over on dry ground. Now, they crossed on dry ground, but somewhere it was flooding upriver. 20 miles somewhere, there's a lot of water piling up. When God does a work, it affects other things. It affects other people. It will affect other areas. And one of the things that Erwin mentioned too Sunday was, you know, Joshua's faith wasn't just for himself. It was for the nation. Your faith, my faith, it's not just for ourselves. Our faith is for others. See, people see us and how we live, and it will either, either give them faith or not. They will either be able to look at us and see a person living by faith, and what does that do? That encourages them. You guys know that. You, you'll read the scriptures and you'll think, that's incredible, and you, you're... Your spirit wells up with faith. Or you will hear someone who stepped out and trusted God and you think, oh my gosh, I want to be like that. Well, you can be like that. In fact, you need to be like that, but not just for yourself, but for other people. We're going to build an ark after this. <laughs> you see, Joshua's faith wasn't just for himself. It was for the entire nation. Your faith is not just for yourself. It is for others around you. And if you do not live in faith and trust in God, it's going to have an effect on those around you. But if you do, it will affect those around you as well. Just like them crossing the land caused it to flood other places, your life by faith will overflow into other people's lives if you live and trust in God. And God is counting on us for this. We are to be the light of the world, Jesus said. A city that's set up on a hill that cannot be hid. You don't take light and hide it under a bushel, a cover. It's meant to be put on a light stand so that people can see it. That's what we're supposed to be. Well, what is that? It's lives that are lived in faith following after God. And just as God called Joshua to live by faith for the nation, he's calling each one of us to live by faith for those around us, for those who can see us, for those who will see that there is a God. Why? Because you're living a life by faith. You're trusting God. God is at work in you, and you are doing things that are bigger than you. And they look at you and they look at me and they see the God who we belong to. And so recognize that as they worked, it influenced other areas. As Joshua believed, it not only affected Israel, but it affected the whole land. We read last chapter about Rahab, how she said that the nations are melting in fear because of you. They heard God needs to be 
being declared in our lives in such a way that others hear and that people know. In verse 16 it says, The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zareth, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Abareth, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground, listen, in the middle of the Jordan, while all the people passed by, until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. In the middle of the people was the presence of God. It needs to be that way in our lives. God's presence needs to be in our lives. We keep our eye on him. He goes before us, and then he is in the middle. The, the ground is dry because of God being there. The way we don't know. Our lives are filled with circumstances and, and things that can hit us in a moment's time that we just don't know. It can be illness. It could be a heart attack. It could be financial instability, calamity. It, it could be any number of things we don't know. And if we don't keep our eyes on God and allow him to be in the midst of our lives, it's easy to be overrun. It's easy to be overcome, but if we will keep our attention, our fix on him, we too can cross on dry ground. We too can see the work of God take place in and around us in miraculous ways, in powerful ways. This passage is miraculous because God is in it. Our lives are miraculous if God is in them. The question is, is he? And if not, why not? Why not? He wants to be. And we need to allow him to be. We need to fix our attention on him. God has gone before us. He knows the way. He will do miraculous things if we will follow after him. But understand, following after him sometimes takes us into scary places. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Keep your eyes on him. He's gone this way before. Let's pray. Father, every time I read this chapter, I am moved with how you move. And I am reminded, Lord, that you ask of us things that to us seem foolish, even as Ben and I were talking on the way over here, Lord, you, you, you are constantly doing things that in our eyes just seem foolish, God. Why would I do that? Why would we do that? Why would this nation do this? But Lord, you call us to take a step, not so we'll look foolish, but so that we'll trust in you, so that we will follow after you and believe. And Lord, you do things so differently than how we would do things, God. And you ask, of, you ask of us, Lord, things that we are afraid to do. And you call us into areas that we are afraid to go. Lord, we're afraid because we can't do it. But Lord, verse 5 tells us that we consecrate ourselves, set ourselves apart for you, 
then you will do amazing things among us. And Lord, I pray tomorrow morning we would wake up just with that thought. You're going to do amazing things among us. We'd go to bed and think, wow, tomorrow God is going to do amazing things among us because we have set ourselves apart for you. Lord, do a work in our hearts and our lives, we pray. Thank you again for our time together, Lord, in Jesus' name.